Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. International News Review. And now, our very own celebrity international news review guy, Steve Oaken's with us today. Good morning, Steve. You know, happy to be with you on Fourth of July weekend, uh, Glenn and Neil. Glad somebody from the losing side could join us as well. Oh, you see, you oh. see, you see. Early stars, he gets them in early. <laughs> Mr. Oaken, what about your musical prowess? We're, we're putting the band together. We've got Glenn over there on trumpet. We've got Dan the man on the strings. Me doing the tambourine. If you're going to join our boy band, what, what are you going to play for us? Oh, I'm your drummer, no question. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. He's got a drummer. <laughs> yes, very good indeed. So we've got our boy band together. Oh, excellent. Hey, we got a lot to talk about today. And Steve, let's get started right away. The, the Chinese Communist Party, 100th anniversary this past week, lots of celebrations. It was a, a big moment for Xi Jinping and, and the country, was it not? No, it was. And it, although what was striking was, you know, a month ago, you know, President Xi said that China needed to present a to be modest and humble. It needed to sh- have an image of being a credible, lovable country. And, you know, what did he say on the 100th anniversary? He said, you know, the Chinese people will never allow foreign forces forces to bully, <laughs> oppress or enslave us. And those that do, we will crack their heads and spill blood on the Great Wall of Steel built from the flesh and blood of the one, 1.4 billion Chinese people. So I'm, a little not, bit of a different tack. I'm uh, not quite sure where he stands ago. exactly. I wish he would clarify. Uh, clarify yeah, that he was sitting part. on the fence a little yeah, bit, wasn't little it? Bit, there yeah. wasn't much flowery <laughs> prose at all, was there? <laughs> all right. So uh, as we look at that, I mean, it's it's uh, you had mentioned, hey, let's take a let's do a quick comparison. CCP at 100 versus USA at 235. They both have their challenges. Let's be honest. Right. They both have their problems, racial and and uh, and, and otherwise. They both have successes when it comes to economy. There is a, an interesting comparison to be made there, isn't it? So there is, and it's an interesting period of, of, of U.S.-China relations. And, and I think a lot of this has to do with, with Joe Biden's approach to foreign policy. It, as Joe Biden said during the campaign, you know, Donald Trump was tough on China, but Joe Biden would be tough but effective. And what you're seeing now is a coalition of countries coming together to confront China where it needs to be confronted, such as on human rights, such as on Taiwan, such as on technology and in the race for for the key uh, sectors in the 21st century. And the Chinese do not like that. They do not like being bullied. They do not like being ganged up upon. I mean, who does? And so you're seeing a much, much different rhetoric in just the period between the U.S. and China. The U.S. has so many challenges and struggles, but it seems to be united on very few things, one of those things is is on the need to have a different approach to China. Both Democrats and Republicans agree with that. But where do you see it going, Steve? I mean, you know, Joe Biden's going for a more collegiate, bipartisan approach, as you mentioned there. He's very much keen to mend fences. But then on the other side, Xi Jinping, he will not allow his words sanctimonious preaching from the likes of Joe Biden and elsewhere. Where do we go moving forward from this? Do you see China eventually coming back into the fold or they become more isolated as this goes on? Well, of course, he's not the first to accuse the U.S. of being a sanctimonious preacher. No. and He won't be the last. So that, that you know, that that that, you know, values driven 
aspect of, of foreign policy is going to continue for the U.S., even though it has so many challenges at, at home to deal with. But the challenges that she faces are grave in terms of, of the party. I mean, you look at what it's accomplished in 100 years, and it has been an amazing accomplishment. But the challenges it faces from you know, having, you know, growing, growing old before it grows wealthy, uh, all of the environmental challenges that the party faces, the struggle in having one party which permeates all of society maintaining control without any checks and balances whatsoever, no checks from the judiciary, no checks from the press, no checks from a second party. So I think it, it's less what the U.S. is going to do and how China is going to handle these challenges is what's going to set the framework for the next next decade, let alone next hundred years. And Steve, playing off what you just said and what Neil just asked about the the kind of modernization and bringing uh, China back into the inter- well, not back into, but into the international community in a broader way. Mike Ong is on uh, Facebook Live, and he said he watched part of the CCP celebrations, and he noticed that the fly past had the number one hundred and seventy one not in Chinese characters, done in English. So that's kind of interesting as well, right? For you know, it, traditionally we would have seen everything be in in uh, Chinese characters. Well, I mean, China's a global power now, and then China, ha- you know, has to speak. It speaks to the entire world. So you've got internal messaging and external messaging. And in a hundred, you know, a, a party lasting, you know, a hundred years is significant. You know, the seventy-one is is really a challenge because look at you know what happened in the Soviet Union. That that party lasted. You know, that single party communist party rule lasted seventy-four years. Clearly, this party is going to go beyond that, but that is going to be a significant milestone. And the, the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, took a lot of lessons from the dissolution of the Soviet Communist Party and is, is trying to address those. That is why that number 71 is very significant for both the country of you know, modern China, new China, and, and for the party. You mentioned the domestic pressures there, Steve, but I am fascinated by the international presses, uh, pressures. If you just look at where we are now, you've got major powers complaining or disputing China's claims, as we know, in the South China Sea, its relations with countries like the US, which you've mentioned, but also Canada and Australia. Smaller powers, but not insignificant, are at their lowest point in years, if not decades. They're locked in bitter trade disputes. Where do you see China going forward internationally? Well, I mean that the China has what it calls its its dual circulation, you know, policy. So it's you're going to trade with the external world that where you have to trade with them, but then you try and be as self-sufficient as possible when it comes to things like, you know, you know, you know the you know microchips and when it comes to medicines and when it comes to to energy and agriculture. That is a very difficult thing to pull off where you can deal with the outside world on your terms when you want to, but then you'll you'll be self-sufficient when you want to do that as well. I don't know how China is going to succeed at that. And the U.S. Is, is, is going to go through that debate as well. The U.S. is saying, well, we need to, you know, reshore all of these supply chains. What COVID has taught us and what China has taught us is that we can't have medicines that are produced outside. We can't have semiconductors that are produced outside. But that's the way the world works today. And how you find that balance is going to be, I think the U.S. and Japan and Australia, Canada are going to find a, a much greater balance there than China is going to. Mm. All right, Steve, let's move forward. Uh, our next story, the uh, former U.S. President Donald Trump's company and its finance chief have been charged with tax-related crimes. Prosecutors say the 15-year-long scheme helped executive evade taxes. Uh, they have uh, pleaded not guilty, this guy, Mr. Weisselberg, 
Alan Weisselberg has pleaded not guilty to tax fraud. But another uh, uh, part of these uh, investigations into Donald Trump, Donald Trump's organization and his past. Yeah, well, you know, Donald Trump described this as being a very terrible thing for our country and that people are very angry about it. <laughs> I don't know that there's a lot of a lot of anger about uh, this tax fraud that's gone on for for more than a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, look, this is a you know, this is a classic, uh, you know, prosecution tactic when you see a a criminal organization you know, you start at the bottom and you you work your way up or you, you start lower and you, you work your way up the, the ladder of the organization. And here you go after the accountant. You know, Glenn is a, is a Chicago and, you know, right, Al Capone did not go to, to jail for, for murder. He went to jail for tax fraud. Right. And that is what they're going after the Trump organization on um, as a start. It, it, what happened here is that for years, the Trump organization would give you know, this employee in particular, their their accountant, you know, Weisselberger, you know, million, a million and a half dollars tax free. Oh, live in a live in an, a, in a, an apartment for free and we're not going to charge you uh, any rent. Oh, we're going to pay your kids, your grandson school fees. Oh, we're going to give you cars that you don't need just to take to and from work. So you accumulate all of this. You have to pay taxes on it. It's a fringe benefit that's taxable mm. and they haven't. So they're starting there with the accountant. And it's going to work its way up. The other thing is that, look, that the, the Trump organization runs on debt. They've got hundreds of millions of dollars in debt coming due. If they are subject to all of these criminal complaints, they're going to have a tough time, you know, refinancing. They're going to have a tough time getting new loans. So this is a real significant, hmm. you know, overhang for anyone who works there, including the former president, as well as uh, as well as the organization itself. Steve, we know the the stranglehold that Trump currently has over the Republican base. I mean, is that impregnable? I mean, he's caught. He's doing his usual thing. It's a witch hunt. Uh, he's he's got along that line with all his political enemies. But as the charges mount, how long can he pander to his base? I mean, or is his ba- is his relationship with his base just untouchable, impregnable, no matter what? Untouchable. Right? <laughs> that is, it's impregnable. I mean, he, he is going to keep again. about... You see, we've got the LNS uh, <laughs> Chicago <laughs> thing going. Yeah. <laughs> right. he, 30% of, 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 of voters in the United States are going to stick with him, you know, no matter what. Uh, you don't win the presidency, though, on 30%. You could win the Republican nomination on 30%. And so that's the, the question that's going to play out. Is this How much is this going to impact his ability uh, to continue to run for office if he's under such threat um, and if they start to go after the other officers of the Trump organization who not coincidentally all have the same last name Trump. So do you start going after the kids, right, do you, who are who, who, who run this company for the last four years, who've overseen this tax fraud uh, go on and on? But he, he's going to hold on to his base. The question is, is, is that base strong enough to get the Republican nomination? It's not strong enough to win. Um, and, and, and that is what the Republicans, I think, are really worried about. He loses, right, most likely, uh, as he did last time if he runs again. Well, that untouchable connection with his base leads to an article in The Guardian that calls it the dangerous turf for America. Giving his grip on the Republican Party and his base, you are pitting a former president against the justice system, and it could be very, very worrying for America's system of governance. Do you see it as seriously as that? I mean, it, it could it could get there. I mean, the 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 closest we came to this was, you know, Richard Nixon, who certainly would have been 
uh, indicted. No president's ever been indicted. Uh, Nixon would have been indicted, but he resigned, and then and then Gerald Ford pardoned him. I mean, could you see Joe Biden pardoning Donald Trump if he were to get indicted to say we've got to get past this? And um, who knows, right? I mean, so it's it's you do, there's just so much that has to happen before you can spin this out. But I mean, the real threat to the United States is that. Nobody. There is no truth anymore. I mean, you know, 40 percent of the country believes Donald Trump had the election stolen from him. Uh, That's that does not work for a system of democracy. All right, Steve, we got to move on. A a new report has just come out by the U.S. State Department. They said Malaysia's predominant human trafficking crime is forced labor and they're downgrading Malaysia to its worst tier in its annual human trafficking report. Uh, this is a big uh, this is a big moment because this report and this tier tracking uh, has other implications, doesn't? Well, yeah. First, like if you're Malaysia, you look who you're now you know in company with. It's it's Afghanistan, it's Burma, it's North Korea. Uh, it's Syria, it's South Sudan. This is you do not want to be characterized with these 17 other countries as being the worst offenders uh, in the world when it comes to human trafficking. Um, and this has a huge implication um, for the government because it could put aid in, in trade with the United States at risk. But it also has a huge implication because businesses are not going to want to to take the risk of doing business or investing in Malaysian companies when you see the forced labor that exists on their key industries, right? I mean, this is palm oil. Um, it's other agricultural plantations. It's it's in uh, electronics and it's in, you know, the rubber products industry. So this is a serious concern for Malaysia, um, not just because the United States says it, but because businesses are not going to want to do to take the risk of having forced labor uh, in their investment portfolio or in their supply chain. Yeah, we tend to take a bit of a detached view with this. We talk about the economic mm-hmm. side of it and the political side of it. I've, to be very brutally frank, I'm much more interested in the human side of it. These are human beings we're talking about. We're talking about sex trafficking in some cases, being forced to work in massage parlors and, and bars and restaurants, often against their will. And it's also happening in Thailand. The report mentions Thailand and Malaysia. And I come back to the point, Steve, about our regular conversations about Myanmar. What role, if any can ASEAN do here? I mean, we, we, this is not a new thing. You know, I, you know, I've been covering this myself for many years. There's been documentaries made about it. Let's not kid ourselves. This is not a new thing, forced trafficking, forced labor, and so on. Should the region stand up? Is there anything that can be done? Well, I mean, I think that's what you, you can't count on, on the region to stand up because it, it hasn't done so yet when it comes, uh, certainly when it comes to ASEAN taking any action on Myanmar. And so that's why you have to see businesses stand up. You have to see consumers stand up. You have to see investors stand up. And Neil, when it comes to human rights, you don't have these phase-in periods, right? You can't say like on the environment, oh, we're going to have a 10-year phase-in to net zero. Or you have China where China says, oh, we're going to achieve net zero in 2060. Well, I mean, that's just ridiculous. The planet's not going to be around if China doesn't get down to net zero well before Mm -hmm. 2060. But you accept these phase-ins on the environment. You can't say, oh, over the next five years, we're going to... We're going to stop human trafficking. Oh, over the next five years, we're going to we're going to improve when it comes to human rights. Now you got to do that now. Yeah. Um, and I think you're seeing 
the, the financial investors, the business community, consumers, not waiting for governments. They're not going to say, oh, okay, uh, ASEAN, you handle it. No, we're going to have to handle it. And that is what's growing and growing. And where we see the climate crisis and action taking place, you're going to see it on human rights. It's, it's, it's going to be sooner rather than later. Well, the sad, the sad truth is that a lot of people are making a lot of money off of human trafficking. They won't be doing it otherwise. <laughs> and, and, and that is what will be the driver. And there have been many reports that people involved in governments across the region are also behind or supportive of this. And, um, and so, you know, it, it's a real challenge to because it's so ingrained uh, yeah. in, in many societies. Um, okay, we got to leave that one there because uh, we got to go on to our final story, which is a good news story, and that is a guy called Sean Tan. Now, if you don't know Sean Tan here in Singapore, he used to go by the name Trexus, and, and he is now a professional wrestler going for the WWE World Wrestling Entertainment in the U.S. He's made it to the big show, Steve. And, and speaking of WWE, I had I got Mason to give me his WWE championship <laughs> belt. Uh, and it's, it's a little small, but we, we have the, 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 the John Cena there t-shirt. We, go. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The, the, we got when we saw the WWE in, in KL. Don't wear that in China. Don't wear that in China. You can wear it in Taiwan, though, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. very popular. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Very it, funny. It, the, the WWE, it's just for its core audience is is fantastic at what it does. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it it's great to see it, you know, being, you know, it's always been global. Uh, you see, you know, wrestlers, you know, like Sheamus, right, from, you know, from uh, from Ireland. And you've always seen wrestlers from Mexico and the bad guys were always from Russia uh, or Iran, you know, when I was, you know, growing up you know, watching the old school uh, WWF, as it was mm. called back then. So to see a Singaporean come in and, and be part of the WWE family is, I think, just going to be so much fun for, for you know, kids who watch it in Singapore and, and adults, too, saying, hey, this, you know, we're, we're part of the we're part of this. I think it's a wonderful story. As we sit here, Steve, Dan, the man is off, com- uh, off camera pumping weights. <laughs> He's lifting dumbbells. <laughs> There's hope. There's a pathway. It's all about well, pathways. It's, it's funny because I think it was maybe two years years ago, maybe 2018, I went to a Singapore pro wrestling event. For the audition? (laughs) 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 For the leotard. Um, But it was was good fun. It was actually held very close to here in Topayo. There's a Buddhist association nearby and they have a big hall and they rented it out. And so there was a ring in the center and, and folding chairs around the edge. And it was a Friday night of just hilarious good fun. Brilliant. And they were all Singaporean wrestlers doing their thing and it was just, it was great fun that was the singapore pro wrestling and now uh, sean tan is up in the big leagues well you know as i hold up hold up the belt you know the e in wwe is for entertainment right, right. It, it, it it's not a it's not a sport it's not something you're going to be you know gambling on and you know or or uh, but it's it's enter, it's it's entertainment and they they do a great job with it and so when you know when you sent that story across Glenn, i was like oh mason go get me your championship <laughs> belt brilliant it, well and now sean <laughs> tan and now sean tan along with two chinese recruits are at the wwe performance center in orlando florida going through their paces. So if any of our listeners or viewers in on the show know Sean Tan, please contact us because we want to get him on the show. Absolutely. I'm doing an interview with him. All right, Steve, thanks so much for your time today. Got to run. 
See you later. International News Review. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.